West Coast. DJ Envy. Angela Ying. Charlemagne the God. The realest show on the planet. This is why I respect this show because this is a voice to society. Change in the game. You guys are the, the coveted morning show, but y'all earn that. Impact in the culture. They wake up in the morning and they, they want to hear that breakfast show. The world's most dangerous morning show. Being a mother, being a. Yo 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 yo
Go ahead. If you want to embarrass yourself, who am I to stop you? <laughs> you said you said I'm gonna embarrass myself. Now, if y'all can go follow me at Young and Prodigy, Y O U N G I N Prodigy at Young and Prodigy. But they wanted my song called Dirty Dan. So like this, I'm on their neck like a mother can. We should have ate like a tad. Had to get out the mud, used to run through the train. You call me Dirty Dan. Had to see through my vision, they see through my pen. I don't think they understand. They know that I'm working, they know that I'm certain my nigga might run up them bands. Hey, I'm, I'm gonna let y'all get out. Y'all go get the rest of it. Go follow me. You get the rest of it on all platforms. Yeah. All right, brother. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> it was all right. I wasn't mad at ah. it. Hello, who's this? It's King J, the blunt man out of St. Augustine, Florida. What's going on? Why What's you still up, smoking bro? blunts, bro? Blunts ain't good for you. Smoke a joint. I do an edible. You, so check me out, Charlemagne. Listen, it's been a while since I've been on here. Y'all know I used to be on here all the time, but um, I got to give a shout out to Frank LaRosa uh, for MET Records out of South Carolina, Charlemagne. And what's it called? They doing hey, MET Records. The CEO is Frank LaRosa. Uh, we doing big things right now. We just had somebody to get signed to Sony the day before yesterday. Wow. Congratulations, what part of South Carolina? Um, around... um. Uh, I want to say uh, Charlotte. That's North uh, Carolina. North Carolina. North, okay, then we got we got a couple people that's in um, South Carolina that signed the MEG records too. Okay. But I, I just wanted to give a big shout out to, um, like I say, Frank LaRosa because, you know, he changing people's lives right now, you know. Um, and um, shout out to Lil Westside. I'm King J the Blunt Man, by the way, and we got a new song out called Move. It's hot and it's moving. Y'all don't want to miss it. Well, All right, salute brother. to you, King. Yeah. Have a good day, the blunt man. Yes, sir. Check it out, man. It's hot. Charlamagne, check out. God, and, and we love hanging up on people. He said it was hot. Jesus Christ! It is. This man's about to give out his website and stuff and tell people <laughs> how to get to the music. He Let did. these black people prosper. I am. Jesus Christ! I did. It's mad people on the line. You want to go to another rapper? I don't know. We got more on the line. I don't know. I'm just picking pick people. Hello, who's this? Hi. Hello. Hello. Wow. Um, hey, this is Isaiah from Maryland. Hi, Isaiah um, from Maryland. How are you? What's <laughs> up, so Charlamagne? Uh, I wanted to, to get off my chest. I love y'all show. Um, I listen to y'all every day, like before class and like when I'm studying. And uh, yeah, I listen to your other podcast. Uh, um, lip service. God, yes, lip service. Yeah, my mind went out blank. But yeah, I love your podcast. Um, and Charlamagne, like, I watch Girlfriends. Uh, <laughs> you said it was good. It actually is really good. That's right. Everybody go out and watch Girlfriends. How old are you? 21. 21 years 22. old. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. Wow, it's so crazy. All right, it's um, over. Hey, Charlamagne, can I get, like, your book? I got you, but y'all have to stay on hold. Y'all got to stay on hold so our producer can get y'all address, and I'll send you a copy of my, my latest book, Shook One. Anxiety playing tricks on me. I say latest, but it came out two years ago. So, but I got you. Awesome. Thank you. Um, well, yeah, I love you guys. We I love you too. You hold day. on, hold on. Don't hang up because we're going to get you your info, all right? All right, awesome. All right. Get it off your chest. 800 585 1051. If you need to vent, hit us up now. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. your time to get it off your chest whether you're mad or blessed so you better have the same energy we want to hear from you on the breakfast club hello who's this hey this is Sherez from columbus ohio Sherez, what up get it off your chest 
Man, I'm just calling to spread some positivity to all the black people here in Ohio, around the world, everything. What's up, Charlemagne? Angela Peace, Yee, King. What's How up, you doing, brother? Right? I'm a, uh, I just want to let everybody know I'm a, uh, my day job, I'm a union electrician, but I'm getting my hustle on as a realtor out here in Columbus, Ohio. So follow me on IG at Sherez underscore Robinson. That's S-H-I-R-A-Z underscore Robinson. Envy, man, I would like to link up with you, man, and talk about investing in real estate out there in New York and New Jersey. Okay. Well, just hit me in my DMs, brother. All right, man. Y'all be easy, man. You too, brother. All right. Hello, who's this? Man, good morning, Charlemagne the guy. Peace, King. What's, What's happening? up, brother? Get it off your chest, man. Man, I'm just, I'm, I'm in good spirits, you know. Me and my wife was getting into it, but now everything back going copacetic, so I'm feeling blessed to have you feel, you understand? Hey, you must have did that thing to her. Hey, man, look, you know how it go. There you go. <laughs> I ain't mad at you. I ain't mad at you. Have a good one, brother. You too. Hello, who's this? It's Erica. Hey, good morning. Get off your chest, mama. Yeah, um, I listen to y'all every morning, and I'll be damn. I'll be tripping out on you and Charlemagne. I mean, I'll be laughing like crazy every morning at y'all. Well, thank you. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or yeah, bad thing. I don't know if you're laughing with us or at us. I don't know. But yeah, that's a good thing or bad thing. Thank you so thing. much, man. I listen to y'all every single morning, like every morning. Every thank you morning. very much. Thank we you. appreciate your support. Well, thank you so much. Yes, you have a great and blessed day, Mama. That's all. Right. Where you from? Okay, you too. That's we, all? That's all I want to say, sweetie. I love y'all. <laughs> we love you back. I love your twang, too. That's Southern twang. Hello, who's this? Hello. Hey, what's your name? Kayla. Hey, Kayla. Good morning. Get it off your chest, Mama. Well, I really didn't have much to say. I just wanted to congratulate y'all. Y'all doing good. And I thought it was so sweet how y'all gave away money because there's really some broke out there. <laughs> Stop calling people the N-word. How do you say stop calling them broke? <laughs> it's, 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 it's some unfortunate people when it comes to their pockets in America. There you go. That's right. Every yeah. so, it's a financial struggle out here for some folks. Well, if you that. got it, you want you want to lend, you want to give some money to some ah, people. Yeah. Heck no! I just lent somebody ten dollars yesterday. No. I'm with you, <laughs> boo. Budget. That's right. Budget that money. Thank you, mama. Ah, just something about that. Something about them two words together just do something What's to you. Broke Nick. Broke. God damn. Lord have mercy. That's just, it felt like back in the day when you heard Scrubs for the first time. Like, I gotta get on my mama. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, who's this? Yo, what's up? This is Corey. Corey, what up? Get it off your chest. Yeah, I wanted to call to thank, uh, well, good morning to you, Envy, Angela Yee, and Charlemagne. Good morning. Peace, King. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. I wanted to thank Yee for keeping you guys in check and, uh, being very beautiful every morning, making my mornings better. Uh, I wanted to well, thank, thank you. uh, Envy and Charlemagne for all the work that y'all do, especially in the mental health area. Uh, I haven't read books since high school, and since you've been doing the Audible stuff, I actually downloaded a book, and I've been reading for like the last two months now. It's really got me excited. That's what I love on. Audible. Audible, I mean, not, yeah, not, I loved Audible before I was in business with them, but they're they're great. Yeah, I, I downloaded uh, Malcolm X's autobiography. I just finished uh, Think Like a Monk, and now I'm looking for some more books. Uh, I wanted to ask if you could probably send me a book of yours, uh, if you don't mind. If you I got you. Y'all got to actually stay on hold, though. People be calling up here saying that, and then they don't stay on hold, so we can't get your address to send it to them. But I'll send you that. I'll send you a copy of my book and a copy of Dr. Rita Walker's book, The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health. 
I really appreciate that. And lastly, I just wanted to say, man, y'all got to stop that fruity stuff up there, man. Y'all really, <laughs> What's the fruity stuff? Y'all be, y'all be doing too much. You and Envy, man. Y'all got to cut it out. Y'all FYI, we haven't, I don't know if you know, we haven't flirted with each other all week. Well, let's keep it that way. I appreciate that. <laughs> Get it off your chest. 800-585-1051. We got excited. If you need to vent into something now, it's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. Wake that ass up in the morning. Check out this Breakfast Club Rewind. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We got a special guest in the building, Stephen A. Smith. Welcome, brother. What's going on, man? Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Ange, how you doing? Charlamagne, what's up? What's up, my brother? It's good to see y'all. Man, you got a new show coming on ESPN? Another one? <laughs> you Man. know, uh, listen, um, you know, it's going to be called Stephen A's World. And, you know, it's just a half-hour show on streaming. ESPN Plus is obviously a big, big priority for them. First year, Disney Plus had 86.5 million subscribers. Mm-hmm. ESPN Plus had 11.5. So, obviously, they want to buffer those numbers, and they came to me and asked me to do this. And I've known about this since uh, last year, which is why I gave up my radio show, because this was forthcoming. What makes me excited about this is a couple of things. Number one, I'm looking to bring a bit more lightheartedness and levity to certain situations and just, you know, show the lighter side of me to some degree and really celebrate what other people are doing. But the other thing that I'm excited about is that I'm not only the host of this, I'm the executive producer, and I started my own production company a few months months ago, Mr. SAS Productions, and it will be co-producing this in concert with ESPN. So essentially, not only am I host, but I'm the boss and um, just trying to set that example and, and, and do what I can to shine. So I put other people in position to shine as well. When we first started the interview, you start, you didn't sound like the normal Stephen A. Smith from Queens. You sounded a little somber. And I, and I know it's because what we've seen that happened on, on Capitol Hill. So so what were your thoughts of, of seeing that? Well, well, first of all, you know, as a black man, we, let's just call it what it is. If, if those were black people marching up on Capitol Hill, they'd have got shot. But also, what jumped to my mind, I turned and watched Trump's entire speech. And if he didn't dog whisper, it was even stronger than that. He told them to go to the state capitol. He told them to stop this. He told them to essentially engage in insurrection. And so for me, to have a sitting president of the United States be so flagrantly divisive, um, and willing to harm congressional and Senate figures. I don't know how much more egregious it gets. And, and I think it's a blight on our country for years to come. And it's just really, really bad. Uh, but but if we're honest about it, it's unfortunate. It's sad. But we ain't surprised. How, how hard is it to go on air today and not talk about what happened yesterday at the Capitol? Or, or do y'all plan to talk about it? I, I, I wouldn't know, Charlemagne, because ain't no way in hell I'm going on the air and not talking about it. Is there ever a pushback at ESPN when it comes to sports and politics? Because I know it has been in the past. Well, let me tell you this. This is the part, and and and, and people in the past, I'm not going to mention any names, but here's where they mess up. Obviously, me being in the position that I'm in, I, it's not like I'm just speaking to the supervisor. I mean, the president and I talk every week. You know, the executive VPs of ESPN and I talk every week. I, I kind of know them. And they have never said, don't talk politics definitively. What they said is, leave the political expertise to the political experts. And more importantly, give the audience what they expect to see. If we're ESPN, we're a sports network, don't avoid sports. 
to talk about these other things. Find a way to interweave sports within the political and social conversation. And because people had a problem with the mandate to not just go directly into politics, you've had some people that have expressed dismay over that, but I've never had a problem with it because anytime something developed and I felt the need to talk about it, I simply let them know. The other thing that the mandate was is that we, you work for us. We pay you. Why the hell are you expressing yourself on Twitter for free when we giving you this platform and we paying you to use it? Use it here. I don't see a problem with that. Now, I want to yeah, get yeah, hold on. You, you, you're talking about Jamel Hill. No, no, no. Not just her. I can't think of too many people at ESPN who even had, you know, that type of energy other than Jamel in the past. There was, there, there, was, there was a bunch of them, believe it or not. And believe it or not, I'll shock you with this, Charlamagne. There's a whole bunch of white folks at ESPN that have very, very passionate feelings and obviously some on the other side. And they want to express it even more because they see us expressing it. What I'm saying is, is that when I get and, and I'll and I'll address this directly because I love Jamel. She's a friend. Uh, Kerry Champion, I know she's a friend. Michael Smith. You know, all of these were they did great. Work. I miss them. I wish they were still at the network. I don't apologize about that. But what I'm saying to you is that. I would say the same thing to you now that I've gotten to know you. If I saw you, you doing something that I said, I said, yo, man, this could ultimately squash you and get in the way of the bigger picture. You too important. I would sit up there and say to you, do you really want to mess that up because of a tweet? Why not use it? Why not use your airwaves? Think about the, about the marathon, not the sprint. That's real. The Breakfast Club. If you missed The Breakfast Club, you don't come from my world. It's dangerous. Check out this rewind. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Stephen A. Smith. I know you got to get up out of here. My final question, do you, do you have a desire for, for people to see who you are beyond the sports? Yeah, to some degree. Um, only from the standpoint that, you know, uh, uh, again, I don't want to pigeonhole myself. I don't want to be somebody that's just about sports. You know, when people, when I remember when, and I told, and I tell, you know, my white bosses this a lot of times, I've said this to them a lot of times, white folks come to work with a job to do every day. We come with a responsibility. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is I remember when Trayvon Martin got shot, I'm walking down the streets and black folks walking up to me, Stephen A, you got to touch on this. Stephen A, you got to say this. Yeah, that wasn't a sports story. But they said it was necessary. And then when the Miami Heat put on their hoodies, they really said, you got to touch on this. Now I was going to anyway. But they were telling me that. White folks don't hear that. You don't see white folks going up to other white folks saying that you got to do it. So understanding that black folks feel that way, why do they feel that way? It's not because of me. It's because of the position that I'm in. I have a platform that most of us don't have. And so what they're doing is calling upon me to bring light and to bring attention to things just the same way you might ask, ask an athlete to, if not more so. Now with the athlete, you're asking them to say something and be active in that regard. With me, you're not only asking me to say something, you're asking me to be that conduit for others to speak as well, to make sure that I provide the platform for others that need to be heard, to be heard. And I take that role very, very seriously. I don't feel compelled to agree with any damn body and say what I don't feel. But I do feel compelled to make sure that even if you disagree with me, if you speak for a vast majority of us, you need to be heard. And so what I try to do is make sure that I do that. And in that regard, that's where I look at myself beyond the world of sports. Using sports 
to extend myself beyond it, to address more deeper issues, enlightening myself, educating myself, either by reading more, watching more, learning more, but more importantly, connecting myself with people I know know stuff, so they will educate me as well. And I had one question too. I wanted to ask about LeBron purchasing, putting together a team to purchase the Atlanta team. What do you think that could do for the WNBA? And how do we uplift the WNBA more so that they can make more money, get more endorsements, more people watch? I love it because I think that Le- LeBron is pretty brilliant with a lot of the things that he does. Um, and obviously he's conscientious. And I think him owning a WNBA team is more about getting it away from uh, Leffler the Senate figure that just lost in Georgia to Warnock. So I think that's what it's about for him more so than anything else. And I applaud his position on that. What I would say is this though, and I'll say this respectfully to all of those females out there, you know, the fellas, we got NBA, we got NFL, we got major league baseball, we got the boxing, we got the UFC, we got all of that. These women have been out there busting their tail for years, trying to make the WNBA into something. Last time I checked, When you are successful in terms of ingratiating yourself with the average consumer out there, you usually are successful because you found a way to ingratiate yourself with that female audience. For some reason, females are not supporting the WNBA enough because if they were, the WNBA would be far more successful than it is. So rather than folks talking about what the WNBA needs, how about the WNBA highlighting in the eyes of women out there, excuse me, we need all the support we can get from y'all because when females step up and support you, you win. I agree. Steven, we appreciate you for checking in. Stephen A. Smith, thank you for checking in, brother. Thank you. That new show starts when? Start the Stephen A.'s World debuts Monday, this Monday, January 11th. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Appreciate y'all. Y'all take care. All right, it's The Breakfast Club with Stephen A. Smith. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. Now, if you just join us, we're talking about uh, a white man, a white gentleman that posted this on Instagram. If you see my account, you'll know the stuff I like to talk about. A lot of sociology. In my experience, I have better conversations about that with black women. Also, black women don't have an issue with my friends. I've had multiple white girls be like, why do you hang out with so many black people? That's because black people don't ask me dumb questions like that. Also, I was a criminal for a long time. I think a lot of white girls uh, like drug dealers because uh, it's cool. White women will let you self-destruct. Black women seem to genuinely care and want me to do better. So I don't feel that comfortable around white people. I feel like black people laugh with me and white people laugh at me. I love it. I think that is great. I think that uh, improves race relations in America. You have that white man professing his love for black women. And I think anytime we can bring each other together, it is a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. All right, well, let's go to the phone line and see if we can get some... Well, we're looking for white men who feel that same way. Oh, white women. And also white women who feel that way about black men are black women, right? Yep. Yeah. All right, let's see. David. Hello. Good morning. Hey, what's your name, bro? You're David, right? Hey. Yeah, this is David. Hi, David. David. How are you, sir? (laughs) You like your coffee black, huh? Good morning morning to everyone. Oh, yeah, definitely. Why? (laughs) Well, um, black women take care of their men better. My current wife, I've been married for three years. When I first met her, I think I had a chance with her, but she saw potential in me, and she inspired me to do better. And I done better. Yes, we will clean you up. 
did she clean me up? I mean, improve my credit score? We, we bought a house together. <laughs> I got, I got wow. A black we woman improving it. a white man's credit score. Drop one of Clues Bombs for God. You <laughs> hear me? <laughs> Only God yeah, in the right. form of a black woman can do that. She's showing the path to, to a better life. My brother. All right. Well, thank Amen you, man. To that. I'm Amen with to you, that. David. My brother, I'll stop you when you stop telling the truth. You ain't told a lie yet, David. <laughs> All right. Thank you, brother. You know, we love we love a good fixer. Hello, who's this? Hi, my name's Angie. I'm from Queens. Hey, Angie from Queens. Now, Angie, you black? I'm white. Oh. oh. Well, that's that crowd. Oh, I hear Queens. <laughs> Can't tell. <laughs> what part of Queens you from? I'm from East Elmhurst, New York. Okay, I thought you were going to say Howard Beach. All right, now... You you like black men only? Yeah, I do. Um, I feel like because I grew up in a predominantly black and Hispanic neighborhood, I had all black friends growing up. Like, I just never thought twice about it. That's what I'm attracted mm -hmm. to. I've actually never even dated a white man before. This is wow. beautiful. We are bringing people together this morning. And I really feel like anytime, especially in these difficult times that we're in when it comes to race, we can bring people together. This is a beautiful thing. I am happy to hear this. These white people professing their love for their black booze. I actually, my son is black. He's half black, so. Well, I mean, that's how it works if you got a black baby daddy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. All What's right. his name? Well, thank you. Thank you, mama. Thank hey, you. What's his name? What, shout, out your, shout out your baby daddy and your son. My son's name is Zayden. My baby daddy's name is Lamar. There you go. And, right. you, and his name right. Lamar. That's <laughs> Lamar's a black name. What? Okay, Lamar, Jamal, Tyrone. That's the blackest you're going to get. Hello, who's this? Aaron. Aaron, what's up, Aaron? What's up, fellas? Aaron, hey, all right, now, come on now. Slow it down. You've been around black people too long, Aaron. What's up, son? <laughs> what's up, fellas? No, he said fellas, because yeah, you know, no, you I can't say What's up, fellas? <laughs> Where, where you so from? I think it's a, I think it's a generational thing. I'm originally from the West Coast, so we mix a little bit more over there. I know on the East Coast, you guys are a little bit more separate. But the thing is, is that my generation, I graduated in 90, I'm 48. I think my generation, it was taboo for so long that in my generation, the white girls were looking for black guys and the black guy, and the, uh, the white boys were looking for black girls. And that's just how it was where I grew up. Okay. So you so you got a black boo now? Uh, I had. I was married to a black woman for a little bit, for a minute. <laughs> what, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Where did it go wrong? Uh, what happened? We just weren't compatible, but she was a good woman. I ain't got nothing negative to say about her. So your ne your next your next bae, you want her to be black too? So the last girl I was with was uh, Afro Peruvian. So she okay. was like a a unicorn. She was Latina <laughs> and black. So I was trying to get all the That's not a unicorn. A unicorn is a lot. Afro-Latinos out here. Hello? Aaron? Say, oh, man, I'm losing you guys. No, we good. Yeah, right. So you want you want you want a black woman? And that's beautiful because, you know. No, 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 I don't discriminate. It's all pink in the middle, you know what I'm saying? But it's like. All right, Aaron. All right. Women for women. I think we lost you, Aaron. We lost you. Hang up on the man. All right. The man ain't tell a lie. It is all pink in the middle. Hello, who's this? This is Shannon. Shannon, what are you, sir? Race-wise. Um, I'm a white male from London. Oh, white male from Orlando, Florida. Okay. Okay. All right. Do you prefer yeah. black women or black men? No, yeah. no, nah, nah, women, women, women. Let's 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 not go there. <laughs> I gotta ask. I gotta ask. I get assume. But why? 
There's no reason, really. I met my wife in college probably 10 years ago. Yeah, coming up to 10 years. What HBCU did you go to, bloke? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, no. I went, to a, I went to a small college in Kansas. It's the most country, redneck town I've ever been to in my life. <laughs> and you met a beautiful black queen on that campus. What's her name? Her name is Amber. Tell me how, you, um, yeah, tell me how y'all first grew in love, man. Tell me, my brother. She, she turned around to me one day and said, hey, can you, can you say, hey, baby? Because obviously the accent... And then it just went from there. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Yeah. And you've been with baby ever since. Yeah, she's turned me into a better man, though. I think um, the thing with black women that I've experienced, they um, they put you in line, and men need that. Men need a strong woman to put you in line, and I appreciate it for that because she definitely made my life better. That is very That's true. I'm, I'm, I, I appreciate you, my brother. I appreciate you for appreciating the queens. Uh, no, no, I appreciate you guys for having me on here. All yes, right, sir. thank you, brother. All right, take it easy. Say guys. bye, baby. <laughs> All right, bye, baby. <laughs> <laughs> what? Turned on. Oh, God. And it turned you on. You don't like that? Bye, baby. I mean, he is a white guy. He's interested in a black guy. Bye, okay. baby. All right. <laughs> bye, baby. What's wrong with you, yo? You kinky this morning, man. <laughs> What's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is anytime you can improve race relations in America, you should. Especially because race relations are trash right now in America. I mean, they always have been, but, you know. They're really bad right now. And I love to hear white people professing their love uh, for black folks. All right, we got more coming up next. We're The Breakfast Club. Yep, it's the world's most dangerous morning show, The Breakfast Club. Charlamagne the God, Angela Yee, DJ Envy. We got a special guest in the building. You know, every time he pulls up, uh, he's telling us something good. Michael Rubin is here. Yes. What's, What's up, happening, Michael? guys? Glad to be here. You have a big announcement for us. We do. We're really excited. We uh, Today we're announcing that Robert Rooks is... Uh, Going to be the new CEO of the Reform Alliance. It's uh, really exciting for us. We're two years into this. We've had huge accomplishments so far. Van Jones, who started this with us, done an incredible job. He's moving to the co-chair of the Reform Action Fund. But Rob is going to take over. He was most recently the uh, CEO of the Alliance for Safety and Justice, uh, which has done incredible work in the space. And we're really excited to have him. And uh, this has been a uh, it's been a great start and journey so far, but we're just getting started and we're uh, really, really pumped up about it. Why, why the change? You know, for us, you know, from the day we started this, really from, goes back to when Meek was in, in uh, prison, we talked about we had to do something really significant. We had to go out and, you know, change these probation parole laws that are keeping so many people stuck in the system. And, you know, from the start, we asked Van to come in and help start this and help build this. And he did everything we asked him to do. We've had some giant wins, which we should get into, big wins in California, Michigan, um, but it was always the plan for him to start this and build this and then kind of um, go to the board position and also kind of be the co-chair of the uh, Reform Action Fund. So it's really exactly as we planned it. And for Robert, you know, this is a guy that has spent his entire life changing laws, doing this work, and is he, he, he's, he's as good as you get in this field. So it's kind of, you know, our the same way we build a business, we just got to keep growing and pushing. You know, I want you to talk about some of those wins, Michael, because, you know, people see organizations like Reform Alliance and they ask questions like, well, what do they do? We always see these, you know, announcements and it's like, oh, we're giving money here. We're doing it. What 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 has Reform Alliance done? What are some of those wins over the last few months? We've had some really big wins so far. First, in California, um, um, going into the holidays, they put in a one year cap on misdemeanor probation and a, and a two year cap on felony probation. That was really the most transformative probation laws really in the country. And as you guys know, the problem is so many people, you know, four and a half million people on probation and parole in this country. And it's basically a trap door. It keeps you in the system and sort of put hard limits on how long you can be in the system. Like California did in a really big state. 
was a breakthrough for us. I think we're going to bring the population down by 33% of people on probation and parole in California, of course, while keeping communities safe. So that was a giant win for us. And I think a lot of states looked and said, like, holy shit, like, this is like one or two year hard caps on probation uh, for misdemeanors and, and, and felonies. We should do something similar to that. And then Michigan came uh, right over uh, in, in the right over uh, the holidays. It was a great holiday gift for all of us. And they reduced um, how long you'd be on felony probation from five years to three years. So from the first time I came on your guys' show, we said we had a couple goals. Mm-hmm. We wanted to reduce and cap how long you could be on probation for all for and not have what happened to me be able to happen to the everyday meet where people were just on probation continuously. The second thing we wanted to do was limit how long you, you, you know, that you couldn't have these technical violations where you didn't break a law, but you ended back in prison. And um, that's what we've been focused on over the past two years. And having giant wins in California, Michigan is, um, you know, a big validation of our strategy. Word. Now, Robert, I know you're just joining us. Did you want to chime in on your new position in Reform Alliance and some of the strides that you plan to make? And I also want to talk about the new administration and what your thoughts are and the, and if you feel hopeful and what you hope to get done. Well, thank you for the question and thank you for the space to be able to talk about uh, this important issue of probation and parole reform. I'm honored to lead reform into the next phase of growth. You know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Michael, for Van, and the founding partners of reform and their commitment to this issue of probation and parole. You know, I've been in this work in this field for over 20 years. I am a community organizer. I have been knocking on doors uh, for, for 24 years, talking to people about public safety. And I have been hearing on the ground that this issue of probation and parole reform was an issue, was a problem, was a trap for many people. And to have folks like Michael and the other founding board members come in and say, hey, this is going to be a priority. This is going to be something we're going to focus on. We're going to stay in our lane regarding how we're going to end mass incarceration, but we're going to elevate this issue to a really high level. It's truly an honor for me to come in and help guide the ship. In terms of what I hope to bring uh, into this space and into this into reform, is basically you know me being kind of a, a community organizer, uh, knowing uh, what people on the ground really think, uh, and also me being in positions where I've ran campaigns and won campaigns in states like California, Ohio, Michigan, Texas, Florida. Uh, our work in California, we've reduced uh, the prison population there by upwards of 30%. When I moved to California in 2012, uh, we had about 170 or so thousand people in our prison system. Today, we're right at 96,000. That's big change. That's big reform. And so reform is possible, impact is possible, And now I'm even more excited to join these titans in their own field, in their own respect, uh, to come together and and bring the Forum Alliance to a whole new level. Now, Robert, you kind of look like Van with hair, just a little bit. (laughs) Maybe maybe it's the Zoom, I don't know. But you kind of look like Van with hair, just a little tatty bit. Now, now I want. I I, I, I I appreciate that. You know. You know. As I said, I've been. You're way better looking than Van. Don't take that, Michael. I'll take that. I wanted to. But hey, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say, man. You know, Van is gonna go down as one of the great, you know, thinkers uh, and communication minds of this generation for sure. He's he's a true genius, and so 
just coming in uh, to a space where he's built a highly competent team and and and, and moving the organization from upstart to high performing is it's a true honor. So yeah, I'm, I look forward to continuing to work with Van. He's being elevated to the board uh, as well as the team that he already has. You know, that's you, all I want. You, yeah. you you spoke on it a little bit, Robert. But what what do you hope to specifically accomplish with with your new leadership role? So specifically, our goal is to move a million people off of probation and parole and create real pathways to work, to wealth, and well-being. This is critical. When we talk about how we're going to end mass incarceration, we're going to do it by changing laws to keep people from going in. We're going to do it by shrinking uh, the length people stay. And we're going to do it by making sure people have real pathways when, when they come out. So they can fully re-enter into society in ways that will help them succeed. We have to do it at all fronts. And so reform's role and and what I'm going to uh, continue to work on based on what was already there uh, is to hone in on how people on probation and parole uh, are in this trap, are in this trap where uh, they have these stipulations that really are nearly impossible uh, to, to, to hold when, and also have a family and a job. And, and so we're going to change how people on probation and parole are treated. We're going to stop the pipeline uh, that people on probation and parole are in because basically probation and parole today uh, is prison preparedness. Mm. Uh, and, 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 and we need to stop that pipeline that, that that's resulting in people on probation parole going into prison. All right, we got more with Michael Rubin and Robert Rooks. When we come back, it's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We have Michael Rubin and Robert Rooks in the building. Yee. What are the things that you would say that the administration needs to do right now in order to improve conditions and also to make sure less people are going to prison and not getting these lengthy terms? Yeah, first of all, I'm excited about the income administration. Uh, I uh, am thrilled by some of the decisions and moves that they've made. Uh, to set up this conversation. Some of my closest colleagues um, are going in. Um, so, I, you know, I text them to, hey, you, you know we're coming. You know, you know we're going to be having a direct conversation about this issue. Uh, one of the things I'd love to see the administration do is incentivize good behavior, good practices at the state level. You know, when we got into mass incarceration, one of the ways was that uh, in the 94 Crime Act, uh, they incentivize states. Uh, to, to pass truth and sentencing laws. Uh, and so states, a handful of states, follow that lead, uh, received additional resources from the federal government and, and grew their, their, their prison systems. We can do that in reverse. We, we can incentivize states to say, hey, if, if you're coming up with true alternatives to incarceration, if you're coming up with uh, programs that's gonna build out health and support for people uh, on probation and parole, we can incentivize you. We can give you resources to build those things out. That's one of the key things I would love for this administration to do is incentivize states to do the right thing. You know, it's interesting, right? Because uh, Donald Trump might go down in history as the worst president of all time. But in terms of reform, you can't act like he didn't take a first step with the First <laughs> Step Act. So do you think yeah. President Biden and his administration will take a second step and a third one and a fourth one? Like, how do you think they'll help the cause of reform? Yeah, I, I think I think they, they have a mandate to, uh, you know, black folks showed up in key places like Michigan and Georgia 
and and black folks want to see the, the criminal justice system change right it's it's un, it's clear it's unapologetic mm-hmm. um and it, and it's right and 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 so there there's certainly a mandate to do the right thing here i expect biden's going to do everything he can in his administration to do the right thing how the politics line up we'll see but here's what's important about this conversation too you know we can't wait for superman like we we, we can't show up in the polls and then wait and see what the administration is going to do. We mm-hmm. have to engage. We have to, just like we organized during the election, we have to organize like that now to get what we want. That's how democracy works. That's how politics works. And so I would I would message to your folks. It's like, hey, let's, let, let's get together. Let's talk about the things we want to see the administration do. And let's put the appropriate pressure on them to, to, to get them to do it. And with all the new marijuana laws and people who are still in jail because of marijuana, how do we make sure that they get out? Yeah, no, that's that that that's an excellent point. I mean, there there are a number of ways uh, we we can do. I, I I would just first like to see an executive order that that basically, uh, you know, well, pardons everyone that's that's in on on, on marijuana. Yes, yeah. man. You know that that what makes the most sense. You have on one end people uh, in businesses that's making money um, mm-hmm. off of marijuana, which 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 they should, and we need to make sure that. Uh, that 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 there's proper race representation in those businesses, but at the same time we can't have people serving out time That's right. people are now making money on. It just doesn't make sense. I'm 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 actually upset with the Biden Harris administration about that only because that's something they ran on. Even when it was the Senate race in Georgia, they were saying if you want weed to be decriminalized, vote for John Ossoff and Ralph Warnock. Like that should have been something that they handled literally in the first few days. Decriminalize marijuana. Free all of the people that are uh, in jail with nonviolent drug offenses for weed. Yeah. Imagine you're sitting in jail for a marijuana offense and weed has been dec- decriminalized and companies are making millions of dollars off of it and you're still in jail. You know, I would have said that was impossible um, before four years ago, before I got to understand the system. Now I'd say that's a normal day and that's why we all need to wear to fix these laws, go state by state, put pressure on everyone that matters and, you know, get to a better place. You know, unfortunately, um, you know, this is the, the country is not effective. We've got a completely broken criminal justice system. It's not logical. And that's why we got to bring out every resource and get people really working together to fix these problems. It's uh, logic does not prevail until you're forced to prevail. Now, now you're right, Michael. Now, Michael, um, I, I'm wondering, right, you and uh, Robert, Meek has been the face of, of this for a while. Are you bringing on other individuals? Yeah, I'd say me, the way I really look at this is Meek was really the inspiration of this. And you, look, you got to kind of go back to what really happened. You know, I had no understanding of that this shit really happened. I lived through it with Meek. You know, we talked every day about how when he got out of prison, we had to do something about this. And that is that will always be the inspiration for why we started this. And we'll never kind of forget that. But I think what Meek says all the time, and I agree with this, is this is about getting the everyday Meeks where there's millions of people that are unfairly stuck within the system. Um, I think one of the things that was so exciting to be Robert, he's built so many different campaigns about taking people that have been adversely affected in a state and using the everyday people to really help shed a light on these issues. So this is what Robert's done in his entire career. And this is why Robert's the perfect person to take uh, reform, you know, kind of for. And that's why we're so excited about. So, Robert, I'd love for you to jump in and say, you know, talk about what you've done already and kind of what a normal, you know, campaign is like in your life, because we're going to do the same thing here with the everyday people affected by this. Every iteration, it's exactly what Michael said. It's about bringing everyday people to the table to let their voices be heard about what they want 
um, out, of, out of the justice system. My most recent iteration um, of that at Alliance for Safety and Justice was to hear from and elevate the voices of victims of crime. You know, historically, people may think victims want to, 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 to throw people in prison and, and, and throw away the key. Uh, what we found is that when you talk to uh, victims in communities hit hard by crime and violence, when you talk to black folk uh, that's been victimized by crime, they don't want to throw people in prison and throw away the key. They want to stop what happened from happening again. They want real investments in their community. They want treatment instead of incarceration. They want investments in mental health. And what we saw was that there was a missing voice in the criminal justice debate that these folks who've been impacted by crime and violence didn't have a say. And, and at the same time, their name was being used to justify mass incarceration. And so part of our work was to elevate the voices of victims to say, not in my name. Uh, we do not want to see prisons and jails built. We want investments uh, in our communities to stop crime from happening. So now we're uh, at the Alliance for Safety and Justice, have over 100,000 members, victims of crime. Uh, we, we weighed in on um, the election. We had a whole campaign called Heal the Vote. Uh, which was bringing these stories to light as to what we want the justice system uh, to say. And so, yeah, I, ha I have a background experience of, of bringing people together, elevating their voices and moving in the direction of, of making real, real change happen. You know, the, the reason I asked about that is because, you know, I think about Michael in Philly and, you know, there's a brother in Philly, man, who, who, who did 20 years in prison, you know, who speaks out about the injustices that, that happened in prison. And that's Wallow. I would love to see Wallow down with, with the Reform Alliance in some way, shape, or form. Do you, do you, you know Wallow, Michael? I think I've met Wallow. I'm pretty sure I have. Um, and I got to tell you something. One of the great things by having a Meek Mill, a Jay-Z, a Robert Kraft as founding members of this is they bring so much more attention to it and get so many more people to want to help. One thing is to get everyone who's affected to work together. But if we get the people that aren't affected to care about this issue and work together, that's bigger than anything. And the great thing is with our board members, they're always saying like, what else can we do? Who do you want me to call? How can I help? And you know, we got to do that on a massive scale. And so we need your guy and we need millions of people and we need them of all backgrounds because that's the only way we're going to fix this. If not, it's going to be the same that's happened, you know, for the past 20 years. Meek, I'm telling you, Meek got to holler at Wallow. I got to tell Meek holler at Wallow then. All right, we got more with Michael Rubin and Robert Rooks. When we come back, it's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. Working on a weekend like usual. Way off in the deep end like usual. Swear they passed us, they doing too much. Haven't done my taxes, I'm too turned up. Virgil got a paddock on my wrist going nuts. Caught me slipping once, okay, so what? Someone hit your block up, I tell you if it was us. Man, a house in Rosewood, it too plush. Say my day's a number, but I keep waking up. Know you see my text, baby, please say something. Wine by the glass, your man, a cheapskate, huh? Gotta move on my release day, huh? This is fame, not clout. I don't even know what that's about. Watch your mouth. Baby, got an ego twice the size of the crib. I can never tell if it is what it is. But said what I had to and did what I did. 
Never turn my back on FBG, God forbid. Virgil got the paddock on my wrist, doing front flips. Giving you my number, but don't hit me on no gun. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We have Michael Rubin and Robert Rooks in the building. Charlamagne? You know, when I look at... You know, Robert Kraft, and I look at Jay-Z, and I look at Michael Rubin buying $50 million houses in the Hamptons. I have to ask, what is the pay like for the CEO of Reform, Robert? Is- <laughs> hey, 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 listen, you know, um, this is a generational problem, all right? The issue of probation parole is, is, is an issue that undermines individuals, undermines families, undermines community, undermines the economic uh, net uh, possibilities for for everyday people and so we're going to be weighing in and changing that and we have generational actors like jay-z and meek mill and michael rubin laura arno um, and others these are people that have made significant impact in their own space coming together and we're going to make a generational change but uh, i was through, through, i was talking about generational wealth and the generational wealth they have and how much of that are they giving to you to be ceo yeah. Yeah, no, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there, and I, I, I appreciate it, but I just wanted to highlight. Tom is never shy. He just, he, he comes out with the hard charging questions. I mean, <laughs> that. And I'm no, sure. That, he's like, hey, what's up, Robert? How much you making, man? I know, right? I'm sure the biggest payoff is though when you see the effect that it has on families and on people okay. who are. You know, because imagine how much that affects people's families, not even just the person who goes to jail or is on probation. That affects the whole family. So And the whole community. You have entire communities where like 50 percent of the folks are, are, are in the system <laughs> Some, somehow. 50 percent of black men, let me say, mm-hmm. are in the system. What do you think that does to the tax base? What do you think that does to, to, to the household, uh, to the community, to parks, to like activities, sports? Like it undermines all of that. And so we, we need to just get the weight of the system off of everyday people's backs. And, and, and that's what that, that's what we're, that's what we're hey, hey, Charlamagne, I will add it to the, because the question you ask is actually an important question. And the reason is the way we want to build the Reform Alliance is like an entrepreneur-based venture company. Go out and get the best talent. Mm-hmm. That's how you win. One of the problems when you're looking at a lot of, you know, I'm just being blunt, a lot of charitable work just across the world is they have a bunch of people who care deeply about the issue, but they're not beasts. We need beasts to feel like, you know, Robert's a beast, okay? Van was a beast on on this. Robert's going to build a team, like Robert's got an incredible team that that Van built that he's, you know, kind of work with, and then he's going to continue to build that team. I got to tell you something, in my company, in my day job, but it's no different with the Reform Alliance, we will never stop to get the best talent available to win what we want to do. And I'll tell you, it comes back to when we started the Reform Alliance, I don't want to say who it was, but I had a really close friend of mine, really successful person. And he said, you know, kind of what's your goal? And I said, you know, what do you think my goal should be? He says, I think you should get, you should have a goal to get 10,000 people off of probation and parole. I thought about it for a minute. I said, we're going to do a million. He said, huh? I said, we want to get a million people out of the system. He said, how'd you come up with that? I said, well, there's four and a half million people on probation and parole. That means there's probably two or three million too many. So millions of nothing goal. It's only like a half or a third of the people that we should be getting out of So it's an easy goal. You say, well, I think 10,000 is the right number. And the reason I tell you this story is because you have to think big. You have to build big. It's no different than a business, what you guys do. You guys probably all have dreams and you just keep pushing and pushing. So for me, coming up with a goal of getting a million people out of the system, which we just kind of picked. And by the way, 
We've got hundreds of thousands of people already coming out of probation and parole based on what we've done in California, Michigan, the other states. So we're tracking toward our goal, of getting a million people out of the system. It's the same thing when you build an organization. We wanted to get Robert to be our next CEO. We want Robert to have any of the tools he needs to have the most successful organization so that we win in what we want to do. Because if not, how are we actually accomplish this really bold goal? No, y'all, y'all have um y'all have really, really, really elevated the conversation about prison reform with the reform alliance and it's, it, it is very inspiring I've, I've you know i've had conversations with dads about this just i, I want to build something like this for mental health as well just because what y'all have done with the reform alliance it's created this big large conversation that transcends hip-hop pop culture and just you know everyday society and i think that's dope that's how you get things done yeah hey. that i love hearing that that makes me so happy because to me you know we got to find inspiration to inspire ourselves in the same way that Meek inspired, you know, all of us collectively to start the Reform Alliance. You know, if, if in any small way we help you to go out and do something great, that's incredible. I can tell you, it's funny. Mental health is an issue that I never understood. And, you know, I like I was always just kind of, you know, by the way, my mom was a psychiatrist. Wow. I, I grew up in an environment where it was just like kind of you set your mind to something and, you know, you had blinders on. And then I realized, like, in the last five or ten years, well, wow, this is a much bigger issue than I understood. And, you know, it's somebody, and, and by the way, you know, think about people that, that are stuck within, like, by the way, the people that I think have so many, you know, been so adversely affected by mental health is when you grow up in an environment, a ruthless environment, how are you not going to have, you know, significant mental health That's issues right. prevalent in your community? So somebody like you that puts this on the shoulders can make a huge difference. And it's about, by the way, it's about thinking differently and just being unrelenting. And that's like, that's what makes, you know, I know what we do in business, what I, you know, what we're doing with the reform is we just don't quit. It's like, you just, you're saying, I got this big goal. I'm going to go after it. I'm not going to fucking quit till I accomplish it. And it's the same thing if you do that. So, uh, you know, I'd love to help you in any way possible because it is a really big issue that I understand better now than I did in the past, still not well enough, but you know, you can make a huge difference. And you know what, that's, that would be more impactful than anything else you do. Cause I can tell you, um, you know, for me, I've had a fair amount of success in business and I love it and I'm completely driven by it, but I'm so excited about like, um, you know, I'm more excited to be talking about reform alliance than I am about anything else because it's the millions of people's lives that we can affect. And that's, you know, when I'm not here one day, you know, that'll be probably, you know, the thing that I'll be you know most proud about looking up. So, yeah. And I mean, and it goes hand in hand with what y'all doing. Cause I mean, if you go to prison for 10, 15 years, you think you're not going to come home? And, and have to adjust? You don't think you're dealing with no mental health issues? Hey, I sure, think hey, you, I think hey, be... Go ahead, Robert. Oh, yeah, no, I just want to jump in, Charlamagne, man. It's so good to hear you say this. And it is directly connected to what we're going to do at Reform Alliance. We're going to shrink the system. That, like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to shrink the system. It's an $80 billion budget right now for prisons and jails and, 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 and to keep people in the carceral state. We're, 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 we're going to shrink that. We're going to take the money out of that and invest it in real programs and opportunities for people at the local level. And that's mental health. That's mental health, that, that's substance abuse treatment. Those are things that allow us to get at the, what's the root cause of some of these crimes? We're only putting a Band-Aid on, on, on issues, and it's not helping anyone. And so as we are successful moving those resources to mental health program, it'll be great to have a partner like you, man, that's elevating the issue, talking about it state by state, and ensuring that these programs get get, get off the ground so they can help everyday people. Let's do so it. I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to butcher this number, but I believe, and Robert, keep me honest here, in California, once we implemented the one-year cap on misdemeanors and two-year cap on felony probation, 
I think they project that they're going to have a $2 billion savings over the next five years. And the number one thing they talk about is investing that in mental illness and mental health. Now, how, like, how beautiful is that? We have a screwed up system that we're fixing. We're then taking cost savings and investing in an area that needs, you know, incredible investment. So to me, that's like actually, you know, you got to give it to Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. I mean, this guy has had a lot of courage. And he's taken, by the way, he's taken a lot of shit for, you know, being out there and doing the right thing. And, you know, he's done a lot for criminal justice reform. And I got to tell you, you know, I only met him in, in, in the last year really during this process. But he's a guy who's put this stuff on his shoulders and said, I'm going to do the right thing. And then I'm going to take the savings and invest in other areas. With a lot of backlash, a lot of people fighting against him, but he's a guy who, uh, you know, he's had courage to, to, to uh, you know, make big, big changes and really set a standard, a new standard for other states to look at and say, this is the way we should operate. If we could have the laws in California in every state in the country, we'd be a wrap on probation and parole law changes. There'd still be so much more work to do, but we'd have the laws right and uh, we'd have the framework right to go do so much other work as a, you know, as an out. Output of, of, of getting those changes made. That's right. Reformalliance.com, Michael yeah. Rubin, Robert Rooks. Thank y'all. Appreciate everything y'all are doing, my brothers. Hey, appreciate you guys. Thanks so much. All right. Absolutely. That's the Breakfast Club. Thank you. Take care. You get donkey of the day. You do dumb ass. You get donkey of the day. You do dumb ass. You are a donkey. I'm gonna fatten all that shit around your eyes. They want this man to throw them blows, man. They wait for Charlemagne to tap these gloves. Let's go. They have to make a judgment of who was gonna be on the donkey of the day. They chose you. It's a breakfast club, bitches. Who's donkey of the day today? Donkey of the day goes to Peter. The people for ethical treatment of animals. Now, I respect PETA and what they stand for. Uh, won't stop me from enjoying the flesh of delicious creatures like cows, chickens turkeys, lambs, goats, and various fish. What about ox? Is oxtails real ox? Yes. Okay, I enjoy those too. Mm -hmm. uh, listen, I'm from Monk's Corner, South Carolina all day. I eat deer meat, all right? Don't think for one second Bambi won't get eaten if it's cooked right. Squirrel dumplings. I've eaten bear shoulder in West Virginia. Look, man, I'm an omnivore. Okay, meat and plants. That's what I like, but I respect Peter. Okay, some things I agree with when it comes to them. Okay, one thing I agree with is I don't like seeing animals caged. Okay, I think zoos are animal prisons. And it's something about knowing people went to kidnap animals to enslave them that feels all too familiar to my ancestors. Okay, I also don't like to see animals tortured when they boil them alive or hang them up in those meat markets, just stick hooks through them, listening to them scream. I hate it. Okay, I want you to make it to my dinner plate as peacefully as possible. Now, we have had Ingrid Newark, the CEO of PETA, on Breakfast Club, by the way. Let me refresh your memory. Play some clips from that. We ate everybody else. And like I what? say everybody. Like who? <clears throat> well, we ate veal, for example. That Tasty. was one of No, you know, hey, Charlotte, you know, veal, it's the baby cow. Mm -hmm. And the mother loves that cow. I've heard a lot of people say you should always eat the mother if you're going to eat the child, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, it actually would be a courtesy if you shot the mother first in the head yeah. when she wasn't looking. But no, I still ate shellfish. Until one day in a restaurant, they brought a plate of live lobsters to the Ooh, table. I can't stand when I see that. When you walk into a restaurant and you can see the lobster, I'm like, oh, man, how could you? I love it. No, you don't. Like, you're like, just pretending. Me, me. No. I know you're pretending. It actually feels sad when you see the things all tied up. <laughs>
And you know what's happening out in the West, Colorado and those places, they, um, people are getting Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. It's just like mad cow disease, only it's mad elk disease. Elk is really tasty. That's you stopped that. I had it when I was that. in Wyoming. I'm not going You stopped that, and that was it's the last gamey, time. a little but it's really tasty. Last time that you ate that. Uh, good morning, Ingrid. You're welcome back at any time, but I'm telling you right now, when you come back, we are debating this foolishness that Peter released here. According to various news sources, Peter is calling on humans to denounce animal insults like chicken or pig or rat. I repeat, Peter is calling on humans to denounce animal insults like chicken or pig or rat. Let me think of a good animal insult for this. Um, bullshit. Okay, let's go to OAN for the report, please. PETA, otherwise known as People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, is back and more woke than ever. The organization posted a thread of tweets explaining what they call speciesism, which according to them is when humans use animals as an insult. For example, calling someone a chicken when they're scared or a rat when they snitch. PETA says that these are anti-animal slurs that perpetuate oppression and that we must reject this supremacist language and offer what they call inclusive words like coward or snitch, very unifying. PETA says that by using animal species as adjectives, we're degrading animals and reinforcing the idea that humans are superior to other animals and therefore justified in violating them. What dodo bird at PETA came up with this idea? Okay, how dare you say calling someone an animal is an insult? Okay, you said you said calling someone an animal is an insult that reinforces the myth that humans are superior to other animals and justified in violating them. First of all, you are discrediting all the times we use animals as terms of endearment. If I say that's my dog, okay, that's my dog, that's love. If I say, man, he's one cool cat, that's love. If I say, and that's on Mary had a little lamb, I am putting respect on Lamb Chop's name. So, Peter, don't act like we don't use animals as terms of endearment. But the reason you folks at Peter are really getting donkey of the day is for one simple reason. Y'all worried about the myth that humans are superior to animals. I don't believe we are superior to animals. I believe we are one with animals. I believe in unity consciousness. And when it's true unity, you don't tell me what my name is. I repeat, when it's true unity, you don't tell me what my name is. Peter, you upset at us for calling someone an animal is an insult. The real insult is you didn't even let those animals name themselves. Who named the pig a pig? Envy, do you know? Angela, you, do you know? I don't. No. Who named the chicken a chicken? Who named the snake a snake? Who named the sloth a sloth? Who amongst us has ever had a conversation with any of those animals and they introduced themselves as any of the aforementioned names? Names. Okay? I have watched Roots enough times to know that when the colonizer wants your name to be something, he doesn't care what your name actually is. God... Okay, the creator put those creatures here, and according to the Bible, Adam gave the creatures their names. Look it up. Pull out your LeBron James version of the Bible. It says, Adam named the animals. Now, when you do some more digging, and I'm sure it's folks out there who really do this for a living and, 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 and have way more information than me, but when you do some real digging, you realize that a lot of times, folks were just winging it. Penguins. Nobody knows how they got their name. But once upon a time, they were called arse feet. Hippopotamuses, 
Okay? Means river horse in Greek. Raccoons used to be called wash bears. My point is that damn colonizer wants to call animals whatever they choose, but want but wants us to respect the fact that we shouldn't call each other something they made up. When the reality is all those animals were named those things without their consent. Oh, Peter, you're playing a dangerous game. Who amongst you has had a conversation with a giraffe to know that that is indeed what they want to be called? At least Toys R Us actually called their giraffe Jeffrey. They gave that creature, that animal, a real name. Peter, you said it yourself. Words can create a more inclusive world or perpetuate oppression. By not allowing animals to name themselves, we as humans are oppressing them. What if Sasquatch, Bigfoot, what if his name really was Harry and the Hendersons were correct? What if that mouse name really is Minnie. And the only reason Disney got it right is because they spoke to her and asked her what her name was and didn't just tell her what she was. Now, when Ingrid Newark was here, she broke down speciesism. Let's listen. What is speciesism? Because I, I read something about that and that was like, it was it was a language, right? Like, don't say things like doggone or... <laughs> no, almost. But it's just against supremacism. And speciesism says, don't think you're a god just because you belong to one species. Just because you're in control doesn't mean that you shouldn't be decent to the other species. So it's against human supremacism, discrimination, prejudice against others because they're not exactly like you. Ingrid, you're right for the most part. Okay, depending where we are, humans are in control. You in that water? No. Sharks, whales, they have control. Okay, but it's nothing decent about labeling someone or some animal something they never told you they were. Until Ingrid or someone at PETA sits down and has a conversation with one of these animals and one of these animals tells us, yes, I am indeed a kangaroo or yes, I am indeed a llama then Peter will have to continue to hear these animal insults and I am about to play a sound from one of the animals used to insult people for the past 10 years on this radio by simply saying, Dramos, please give Peter the biggest hee-haw. All right, Charlamagne, thank you for that donkey today. Yes, ma'am. All right, we got more coming up next with The Breakfast Club. The world's most dangerous morning show. It's dangerous. The Breakfast Club. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlemagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We got a special guest with us this morning, Lorian Gibson. Good morning, Lorian. <laughs> dance your dance, eight steps to unleash your passion and live your dream. Welcome. Hey, guys. Oh, my God. You guys got my book. How emotionally amazing is that? Oh, my gosh. Lorian, Good morning. You've been, you been, you been around for a long time. You are OG. How stupid do Zoom interviews feel? Stupid. I was really <laughs> upset that I couldn't be there. I'm like, this just doesn't feel right. Just to be 100. Oh, you could have came. We're starting to have guests finally. So if if you would have been in New York area, we would have uh, rather you be in person. Yeah, me too. This feels very foreign. And because we're all family and I love you guys so much, it feels really weird. But at the end of the day, very happy to have this moment to promote something that is so incredibly amazing. And it, look, I can't even express how grateful I am to get this book out, this messaging. It's breadcrumbs to never giving up. That's what I'm calling it. So why did it take you so long to write this this book? It feels like this book should have been in, in people's hands a long time ago. I think because ultimately uh, it took a while to understand how to communicate my methodology and I wanted it to go beyond the artist that I built. 
You know, you build superstars, you build big stars, and you hope that their narrative matches your narrative. And sometimes when it doesn't, then you feel frustrated, and then you want to be able to communicate all of you, not just some of you, through the art that you make. So this book is the beginning of me touching every single dream warrior, every single visionary, every entrepreneur, every person who doesn't want to have to feel like they have to be like someone else in order to succeed. The understanding of your passion, driving your choices, driving your dreams. Um, and it's supported by situations that I have been through where I have received the revelation in order to help you understand that these eight steps are something that you can go back to in your fight, you know, against uh, situations that are oppressive or less than uh, perfect for your well-being. So it's really awesome. It took a while to become all that I needed to be. Yeah, there were so many things about you that I did not know. And you do start off the book just basically talking about your childhood. And you had one teacher who made you feel, well, wanted to make you feel like you could never be a ballerina. And thank God you didn't listen to that. And, I, and you stress the importance of early education and how teachers really do make such a big difference in your lives, as well as your parents just supporting your dreams. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I really believe that seeds that are planted early, you know, I had a natural ability to fight off something that didn't align itself with my truth and my dream. At a very young age, I was born to dance, I tell people. I had a passion for dance that was not normal. And because of this passion, because of this love, when I met Mr. Christopher, who said my feet were too flat and my back wasn't arched because I was black, um, and he said that I would never be a ballerina, there was something inside of me that was warring against that seed taking route inside of me. So I use that so that these kids can really understand when they dare to dream and they come up against something, somebody that hasn't experienced their gift, or you may be the person to change the narrative, to be the new version. You know, everyone's meant for a certain time. So when you carry an original gift, you have to understand how to um, really repel a seed that could build insecurity versus empower your individualism or your uniqueness. Ooh, let's, so let's, I was like, Mr. Chris. Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just like, Mr. Christopher, white man, I don't know what you're talking about because in my head and in my heart, <laughs> I'm not only a ballerina, but I'm every type of dance and I see myself soaring and leaping. And, and so I held on to that. And then when I saw Alvin Ailey at 12 years old at the O'Keefe Center, I was able to visually connect the feeling right. of my dream to seeing those powerful black ballerina store on stage. I, I want to unpack that a little more because the subtitle is okay. Eight Steps to Unleash Your Passion and Live Your Dream, right? How does one really live their dream? Because sometimes folks will see a you or they'll see a Diddy or anybody who's successful and they say, that's my dream. That's what I want to do. I want to do what they're doing. But that's not really their dream. It's, they just see it working for someone else. So how do you help someone really live their dream and find their dream well, that's why it's eight steps, obviously, like choreography, eight counts, but it's eight steps. So once you dare to dream and you define and you define your passion, you know, it can never be compared. So I talk about staying in your yes by step four, because the comparing is what is causing the confusion. Mm. Once you everyone has their own dream, their own DNA, their own p passion, we're all uniquely built. And that's part of why we have to change the narrative, especially in the music industry, especially in the culture. They're always trying to remake something that's already out. 
Mm-hmm. And that's so, yes, you can use what I've done as inspiration, but that's why you got to dance your own dance. No two people are going to take the same role. Those are just the facts. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the you, eight steps step help you identify your passion, identify your uniqueness, and then I help you understand it and, and secure the confidence to stay in it. Be inspired by others, but define yourself by yourself. You, you know, think people I, as who a choreographer, ne- you know, um, sometimes you have to teach people how to dance. Can can you teach anybody how to dance? And who probably was the toughest person to teach how to move and dance? I absolutely think everybody can dance. Everybody is a dance is pedestrian. Dance is just your own understanding, your own body, your own rhythm, how your spirit moves. Understanding how to be fearless with the physicality of your body. Yes, I can teach anyone to dance. Um, everybody was a challenge. Pop Daddy, Lady Gaga, Nicki Minaj, Katy Perry, everybody has their own challenges. But just like that, everyone has their own unique dance. So I don't really see the challenges. I see what's not there. I see what you can do that no one can do. And then I dig into that and I understand your rhythm. I listen to the record. I understand where you breathe, how you take that breath, when you should move. And that's why I've probably built some of the biggest superstars in the world because I built them based off of their own magic. So yeah, I can teach anybody dance. Last time you ate, you promised you promised you were gonna teach me and Charlemagne a routine. We ain't forget about that. This is our ten year anniversary. Please. So I want next time you can we we see you. Nah. You got, yes, you gotta I'm too teach old, us a routine. I'm, I'm too old, Lorianne. My knees ain't what they were, you know, six, seven years ago. Well you ain't gotta bust it. You ain't gotta drop on your knees, bro. First of all, I want to talk to you about that little old obsession you've been having lately. I need you to change that narrative. Timeless. You keep speaking this, and I'm just not accepting it because you look great. I look amazing. I'm just getting ready to rumble. I just want you to lose that narrative. Listen, I can put some ice on the knees. Like, there's there's a million different choices to make. The problem is when we don't understand our season and we're making choices like we're not in this very, very good season where we don't have to touch our toes and and get down as low as we used to. I like being an OG, though. I'm embracing it. I'm 42. I I, I actually love it. I think people have this <laughs> negative connotation on the word old. I love it. That's not old. No, I didn't say it. Listen, well, okay, tomato, tomato, right? I, OG is about wisdom, and that's yes. what's lacking. So I do agree with you, you know? Like, you know, you can have all the talent in the world, all of what's going on, I got you, but you don't have the wisdom to make me feel nothing. That's right. You know what I'm saying? You can digitally download a record, you could do it all, but you can't create an experience. Mm. When we open back up, if you are not understanding that people will pay a good, good price to go to a good, good show, and you haven't taken the time to dance your dance, get artists developed, understand your why, mm-hmm. really be be connected to creating an experience, then you're over, right? So wisdom teaches you the how mm-hmm. and brings in your why. So yeah, I will never apologize for being this right this, you know what I mean, right now. So I'm with you. <laughs> but when you tell me your knees are hurting me and you're old, I can't really relate. You know? <laughs> All right, we have more with Lori Ann Gibson. You know Lori Ann Gibson, choreographer and more. Uh, Dance Your Dance is her new book. We'll kick it with her some more when we come back. It's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. <laughs> 
Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Lori Ann Gibson. Charlamagne? Lori Ann, you're a person that found a purpose at an early age. It seems like you knew who you were or wanted to be at an early age. Do you think people who never knew who they were, people who aren't securing themselves, do you think they can ever get to the point, especially in this era, where they can really be their authentic original selves? A hundred percent. I have to believe. And that's why I wrote the book, because everyone has the opportunity to arrive at their best life. Step eight and live their dream. Yes. One hundred. It is never over. It is never too late. You're designed to arrive at that place where you have a fulfilled life. I think that a lot of the times it's about understanding people around you. And I talk about in step three you know, uh, building your team. Unfortunately, sometimes a lot of young kids get like, like told that they can't, that what's unique about them is not valid. You know, my father, I had a box in the basement that I would dance in and out of. And it was uh, in his man cave. You know, he had like his records and his JBL speakers and my father's Jamaican. So you already know how his music and his after work sessions meant to him. And there was a huge box in the corner and I was always like dancing in and out of it. And one day my father was like, listen, man, you have to dash out that box. Like this box can't stay in my cave, you know? So my mother was like, no, Bishop, leave the picnic, leave her with their box. So apparently one day my father asked me, because my older sister told me recently, Larianne, what are you doing in that box? And I said, Daddy, I'm birthing myself into the world. Mm. And it was later that I understood when Gaga uh, was in Europe and I was in L.A. and she played me Born, Born This Way. And I was like, as soon as I heard the record, you know, I have a certain creative process. And I was like, I got it. We're going to birth a race. We're going to birth a race within a race that cannot hate. And I was obsessed with prosthetics. And I said, and we will use prosthetics to identify this race. And then it went on and it grew. And that's why I put her in the egg and that big Grammy performance. She was incubating. She was changing her DNA. You know, we didn't want to break the fourth wall. But I'm saying all that to say that little girl dancing in and out of that box. That was the beginning of me understanding that I was a creative visionary. And if my parents had shut that down, I would have felt not as confident about having that childlike imagination and mm. understanding how to tap into it. And today it's about an Instagram, it's about a Google. So it's hard for young kids to work their imagination, work that part of the creativity and adults and entrepreneurs. Right. It takes that imagination to create a new perspective. So really super passionate about not oppressing that which could be potentially something new that the world needs. Yes, and it clouds your discernment too. A hundred percent. You also say there's no Me Too movement back then when you were getting started and you referenced that there were people who definitely, and fortunately for you, you trusted your instincts, right? You even describe auditioning for Bobby Brown and you didn't like the way he was even looking at you and that would have been a great gig, but you turned it down. So how prevalent was that? Because we see right now there is a Me Too movement. People are getting called out for things that they've done and their bad behavior. But how many times, like percentage-wise, were those things happening to you where you felt like, okay, this is a really bad situation? And was it ever escalated more than just somebody leering at you? Was it ever something that felt dangerous? You know what? I mean, the the, the climate, the culture, it was very bad. I just, obviously, I... I one, I didn't have like big t's and a big butt back then. So I wasn't really, you know, it was, it was kind of like I was 
the awkward bird out. But when I was put in those situations, it was incredibly pressuring. And it was all in the culture. You know, backup dancers were supposed to be backup whatever. What? And What's whatever? Backup bed bunnies, backup oh. <laughs> pretend girlfriends. Got you. Backup snuggle bunnies on the tour bus, whatever. Instinctually, like, no, I'm just not understanding my spirit, mm-hmm. my passion, the dance. I was like, I thought that was enough. You know, it was a constant fight. But again, um, and there, you know, there was no judgment to the ones that did. There was just for me a flag, an indicator that made me feel a certain way. And at the end of the day, it affects the purity in the gift. It affects the passion. Mm-hmm. When you're a young girl with a dream, those proclivities attach themselves to the way you perform, to the way that you blossom, to the way that you grow, to the way that you become your dream. So ultimately, the fact that I fought it off and the fact that it wasn't the popular decision, and so I got less opportunity, less checks. I got called so many things. She's crazy. She's this. She's that. Nah, just because I didn't want to do what you wanted me to do, I had to fight through those narratives and overcome the insecurities that were trying to take root. But because I did, I'm able to have the revelation to inspire young girls now. If you feel a certain way, if something goes off in you internally, that is an indicator to walk away. In, in chapter four, stay in your yes, you tell the story of, of auditioning for the Fly Girls and, and J-Lo getting the part and then Keenan Ivory Wayans admitted years later that he didn't find you sexy enough. How, how did that make you feel? You know, not good. Not good. It's it's a fight that young women face every day. That's why there's such a uh, a need to run to the plastic surgeon and all of these elements to help recreate this image that is constantly being catered to or lifted up. And I just took a long time to understand the sexuality in my dance, right? Because I was a trained dancer. So it never came from a place of seducing the male or understanding what's uh, what's, uh, internally uh, about a sexual experience rather than a dance or something that intentionally wants to move a different part of you rather than just arouse you. Mm. So as a dancer, there are different elements to the way you move, you know? Uh, And so I wasn't in touch with that particular element at that time. So it was crushing because I was definitely one of the best dancers amongst the crew. And so for me, I couldn't understand why am I not booking this job? I'm killing this shit. But there was something about the way I was dancing that wasn't as sexually arousing as I needed to be for that particular job at the time. Yo, I, I love that answer because, you know, when someone says you aren't sexy enough, you, you automatically probably would assume it was physical, but you didn't feel like it was physical? You felt like it was just something you weren't doing aesthetically as you were dancing? Yes, I wasn't in touch with that part of me. I was dancing. I was like making sure my arms were right. <laughs> you know, I was hitting the move, but I wasn't necessarily allowing that, you know, inner Venus, boom, boom the energy, you know, the internal conversation, mm-hmm. the intention to seduce 
was not on me. I was I didn't understand how to work that conversation. Gotcha. Right. So unfortunately, sometimes when you're young, if you are experienced or exposed to something that is driven by that type of narrative, sometimes you arrive at that conversation prematurely. Mm. I was okay when I was ready to understand it because then it gave me a better sense of self-respect. Mm. All right, we got more with Lorianne Gibson. When we come back, it's The Breakfast Club. Good morning. The Breakfast Club. It's Breakfast Club, bitches! Power 105.1. Checking out the world's most dangerous morning show. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are The Breakfast Club. We're still kicking it with Lorianne Gibson. Charlamagne? Well, why do you think the, the, the style of dancing that, you know, you do... Diddy used to do the choreography. Why do you think that's not in hip hop? Like the way stuff Big Daddy Kane used to do, kid and play. Like why? Why do you feel like that's went away? Rappers don't do that anymore. I think because it defines mediocrity with greatness. You know, I'll never forget bringing Big down from uh, his cage on the Soul Train Awards and telling him he had to get down to the top of the stage by first things first. I pop up, freak all the honeys, bunnies, playboy bunnies, and I was like, Big, you gotta get here by here because the girls got to come around you and my lighting got to hit you and let me tell you something big rehearse that one walk mm-hmm. stage to downstage he was on the soul trainer once they all of them nods when i brought him out with lauren hill like a respect fat joe big pun diddy snoop a respect for the stage we call it the x we call it the arena we call it the shoulders of hip-hop like you had to be prepared to deliver the lifestyle, the record, the experience. I think that that's work. Yeah. These kids don't know how to work. And that's why it's over so quick. But we're coming back because you know, there's so many of them now. It's like water that you have to find the ones that understand how to do the work to deliver an experience. You know, when I first met Young Thug and I and I was like, oh my God, you're so genius. And we started working together in the beginning and I told him everything, boom, boom, boom. And he put the work in for his show and it popped off, but then it was too much discipline. And they gotta, they gotta find that narrative because we, we, won't, we won't find greatness. I think the baby, for me, he's onto it. I hope he holds onto it. Right. I'm smelling him a little bit. I love that he has a process that reflects uh, a bad boy artist, the 90s, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? His ability to entertain. But, you know, you got to live a different life. You got to make different choices. Because you, you, you remember so, when Offset Remember when Offset was on stage and he did the choreography with the dancers mm-hmm. and how dope that looked and everybody got excited? And I remember him saying, I'm going to lean into dancing more. But he did it. And Big right. Sean and A.C.A.P. Ferg did that too. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And the reaction they got was great. But guess what? They had to go to rehearsal. They had to remember it. Yeah. They had to put in work, <laughs> which I, they, yeah. they don't want to do. I mean, uh, I remember one time Nikki was like, Laura, oh, my God, you make me work so hard. I was like, yeah, but that's why you were and are and did what you did. Uh, and you impacted that much. And I think that that's a real conversation. They just don't want to do the work. And, and what you put in is what you get out. And don't tell me you're the best if you don't want to spend time in the gym before you get in the ring. The two just don't go together. That's right. You know what I'm saying? And they don't spend as much money on videos either. People just shoot videos and throw them out. Yeah, it's definitely all about the numbers. But again, if you are designed to impact, then you have to take a different narrative. You have to understand that the music industry was built on artist development. 
And so, therefore, you can't reach those heights without the knowledge of that. And, yes, the music industry has changed, but there's still people like myself and, and companies like myself that believe in developing an artist so they can sustain their dreams and have multiple albums and have a healthy career. I think that this generation really has to understand that, yo, no, they're not putting money into the black artists. And they never did, but we fought for our integrity. We, we, we dominated what we needed to have people enjoy our shows and our experience. Now they're fooling you. They're giving you two seconds and you're drinking that Kool-Aid. But what they're saying is there's no value in you as a black artist because they're definitely still putting the development money into the white artist, mm. right? But you just want to go back and forth and bump into each other on stage instead of <laughs> having a real process. It's so wild to me that that's the mindset when people like Andre Harrell, Diddy, Jermaine Dupri, all of these people have laid a blueprint to what it looks like to develop an artist. Like, why would people just let that blueprint go to the wayside? Because you said it, and obviously Andre, <laughs> you said it, you said Andre Harrell, you said Diddy, you said Jermaine Dupri. You didn't say Lorianne Gibson, you didn't say the, the black creatives that are actually part of the artist development system. Andre was very essential uh, in my career in allowing me at Uptown Records to understand my passion for artist development. Charlie Atkins used to do what I did at Motown Records. Charlie At Atkins curated the Temptations, the Four Tops, the Supremes. It was from the studio to, to the studio. You know, for me, it's about the visual albums. It's about a whole different narrative now that we're in the future. But Andre understood the importance of giving the record, the lifestyle, the culture, mm -hmm. the ability to create the platform that would be competitive. Yeah. You you mentioned Big, and I'm always, I'm always intrigued by people who met somebody like Big, because Big seems just like a mythical figure to me, right? Like It's like talking about a, a, a Greek god or an Egyptian god or something. Like, like what kind of impact did he have on you? Uh, he, 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 sometimes he always has a, still has an impact on me, but uh, he was Jamaican, and his impact was just that. A phenomenal, incredible artist, lyricist, but the heart of a champion, and, would, and, and understood, like, you understand your tribe. And he was someone that respected the gift in me. I remember the night I sat on his lap when he passed and he, and he still went back and reflected and he was like, oh my God, did you see that Nas tried to copy our performance, L? And uh, that night I didn't have the heart to tell him I choreographed Nas and Lauren Hill. So it's not that it, it was the same, but I was the beginning of my brand big, you know? But um, the fact that he, that performance, it still lived with him weeks later is who he is. You know, he was full of greatness. His work ethic, he was a master and he understood opportunity and he understood how to elevate based on that opportunity. Well, Laurieann, you know? one more thing, you know, Laurieann, you talk about the pain of letting go is a good pain. Find comfort in knowing that the pain of shedding what doesn't serve your dream is a part of the process of becoming the true you. Explain how the process was for you becoming the true you. Well, through the disappointment, through the pain, you know, there are so many opportunities. I think that people had to speak into what I did. I uh, had the opportunity to help with uh, uh, the, the idea to recognize my contributions and things like that. And when that didn't happen, you know, they, it did would create a pain of disappointment. 
Um, and so through that pain, you have to persevere and there's purpose in the pain. So what it does is it burns up what doesn't serve you, meaning as you continue to press, then the pain produces what you need to carry the dream, to carry the capacity, Charlemagne, to stand alone against what the world says is successful and continue to inspire. Mm. To stand alone as a female against certain situations where men are still oppressive and in denial about the power of your gift. It creates the capacity to continue to press. It allows me to not be afraid to be singular with my message and with my call and with the ability to understand my greatness and to not be intimidated in any room. Um, so you must persevere through the pain because what you don't need falls off and what you need rises out. Oof. Go get that book, Dance mm -hmm. Your Dance, Eight Steps to unleash your passion and live your dream you. by the beautiful Lorianne Gibson. Always a pleasure to thank see you, you so talk much. to you. Yes. The book was very inspiring, so thank you so much, Lorianne Gibson. Always a pleasure. And, and you come owe us some us dance when lessons next time you're in town. You owe me and Charlemagne some dance lessons. Guys, 100%. It, it, listen, it's just free. It's free because I love you guys. We're family. But listen. I can't afford you no way. <laughs> I know. It's okay. <laughs> I think it's something like the Breakfast Club Bop, the Breakfast Club Rock. Yeah, we need a show. Breakfast there Club Bop. Okay. <laughs> we'll figure it out. You the creative. That's, That's your right. lane. Follow your lead. Got it. Got it. Okay, well done. I'll see you guys in rehearsal. All Love. right. Lorianne Gibson. <laughs> it's the Breakfast Club. Good morning. Peace. Morning, everybody. It's DJ Envy, Angela Yee, Charlamagne the Guy. We are the Breakfast Club. That's Black History Month, Charlemagne. Who we repping today? Yes, today is President's Day, and we will acknowledge the only Black president we have ever had, President Barack Hussein Obama. People love President Obama. He has been celebrated for years, but you know this generation calls celebrating someone deriding. So let's keep the deriding going this morning by flashing back to Will I Am and Thugnificent from the Boondocks, deriding Obama. The Breakfast Club presents a new Black History Month legend. Got up this morning, things weren't working right. I said I wanna make a change. I said I wanna fight. Obama walked up and said, Yes, we can. I said I wanna ride your nuts, cause I think you're the man. Now I'm riding Obama, Obama. Now I'm For today, it's riding for the straight, it's riding for the day, it's riding for America, it's riding for a rock. It's okay to ride that shit, just as long as it's Barack's and now we're riding. And that was another new Black History Month legend, courtesy of The Breakfast Club. Nothing like D-riding, I mean celebrating the first black president, right? Breakfast Club, bitches! Y'all finished or y'all done? <laughs> 